0: Good evening everybody, how are y'all doing? Good, good to see everybody. Tonight we are going to be in 1 Peter chapter one, looking at verses 10, 11, and 12. And the title of the study is, Salvation is not an afterthought. You know, in these three verses, Peter moves on in his teaching uh, to give us really the whole snapshot of salvation. And not so much a description of what salvation is, but really its foundation where it came from, um, and all that that has to do in encouraging us in our trials. I don't know if any of you have ever had the opportunity to literally save someone's life. Um, Some people have, some people haven't. Those who have had that opportunity um, often say like not much compares to the sense of fulfillment that you get in, in literally saving someone's life. There's a there's a satisfaction, there's a sense of purpose, there's a sense of joy in that. You know, if you talk to medical professionals and people that deal with, with issues like this, um, often that, that moment of where in just doing what they're supposed to be doing, they, they realize they saved someone's life. It's often a sense of a great joy, but for those of us who believe in the truth of God's word, who understand that this life is temporary, that understand that there is an afterlife, there is a place of eternal judgment called hell as well as a place of, of paradise, eternal paradise called heaven. Saving a soul is so much more wonderful. Not to diminish the act of saving someone's life, but to save someone's soul, to be a part of leading them to salvation really is a moment of, of inexpressible joy and in, in, in fulfillment. If you've never had the opportunity to lead someone to Christ, to be a part of that moment to where their soul is saved forever, um, I pray that you start praying for that moment because it really is an amazing, just almost indescribable uh, moment and opportunity that, that we get to have as believers. And so it's that salvation that Peter is going to be talking about here. It's this salvation that he has in mind as he writes the next few verses of his letter here. And we have to remember that the audience he's writing to um, has been suffering persecution, have been suffering oppression. They've been suffering trials. And if you've ever suffered, Rich, right? Who, which one of us hasn't suffered, you know that, that trials and difficulties, they have a tendency to cause us to look down. Instead of looking up in hope, they, they, they drive our, our eyes into the path of pain before us, right? Trials and difficulties can weigh us down and make us feel like we're, we're carrying a burden that's so heavy we could barely take the next step in life. And in those times, we find ourselves looking less at the, the hopeful horizon in front of us and more at that, at that path of pain that we're walking in those moments. And it's these times, it's in these moments that we need the encouragement to look up. Not just because our redemption draws nigh, but because in the moment we have the hope of Christ, the hope of our risen Lord who is in heaven with God the Father. And so it's, a, it's that moment of getting our thoughts focused on the right place. This is what Peter is doing here in these next three verses. And so our salvation has been one of the reoccurring themes of 1 Peter so far. Obviously, there's this overarching uh, theme of suffering and trials and difficulty, but, but Peter's not just saying, hey, let's talk about trials. They're terrible, right? And move on. He's been trying to encourage his people to alter their mindset to get through the trials victoriously, to get through the trials with joy, to come out the other side with joy. And that's what he's been focusing on. And a part of that perspective shift that he's really been encouraging his readers to, to hone in on is the reality of our salvation. Back in uh, ver- uh, chapter 1, verse 5, he said, You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And we talked about that as we studied through that verse, that yes, we are saved here and now, but the ultimate fulfillment of our salvation, the ultimate reality of what that means to us is yet to come. We're not going to experience the full magnitude of what our salvation means for us when we're no longer here in this life and we're there with the Lord in heaven. But then in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, he said, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so that's the second time in the first chapter he mentions salvation, and then here, starting in verse 10 and what we're looking at tonight, he starts out with concerning this salvation, right? And he's gonna go on with some really encouraging words, but really, if you think about all of language, I don't think there's a more reassuring, more comforting word than the word salvation, than the concept of salvation, right? You could apply it to any circumstance of difficulty, any circumstance of captivity, any circumstance of, 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 of oppression and salvation is just this wonderfully sweet word. But when you apply it to the concept of our souls and our eternity, it is indeed a glorious word. The word salvation and its derivatives appears some 400 different times in Scripture, so it's an important concept. It's rendered, you see it as saved or salvation or saving, and it has a really broad scope of meaning. The words that are used for this and the word that is used here has a broad scope of meaning all throughout Scripture. Sometimes it means to be saved physically from harm, right? Right? Like if there's a truck coming down the road and you push someone out of the way, you saved them, right? The word can refer to that, but the word also can refer to being saved eternally from sin, from death, and from hell. And that is the context that Peter is using the word. So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll dive into these verses. Father, God, we are so thankful for our salvation. We are so grateful for our salvation. Lord, the very fact that we are saved eternally that you are with us here and now, walking through our difficulties with us, always reminding us of the hope, the reality that we are saved, that we are your children, that you're going to get us through and get us to heaven. God, these truths are powerful, but sometimes, Lord, we can just get overwhelmed and forget or lose the vibrancy of those truths. And so, God, I pray tonight that you would just remind us That, God, us being saved wasn't an afterthought on your part. You didn't look down one day and go, oh my goodness, things are difficult for them. I need to save them. But, Lord, our salvation, our deliverance was something you had in plan, had in your plans, in your mind, from before time even began. And so, Lord, knowing that way back then, you had planned our salvation, God, should and can and does give us the strength now to look to our future through our trials and difficulties knowing that we may be oppressed, we may be squeezed, we may have difficulty, but we're not going to be destroyed, Lord. And so may we receive what what Peter's readers received the first time they read this letter, God. Bless us. Speak to us, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, he says, concerning this salvation in verse 10, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched And carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. And so he starts out saying concerning this salvation, right? Salvation is kind of the point of this whole deal, right? You know, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, Paul told Timothy that God wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's will. That's God's desire. That's God's purpose. And what Peter is reminding his readers here in these verses is that, look, the salvation of mankind... The salvation of you, the salvation of me, the, the personal relationship of that, look, it was in, in motion way back when. The prophets predicted it, the preachers proclaimed it, and the angels ponder about it. And so first, let's look at the prophets here. He goes, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. Now, when he's referring to prophets here, he's referring to what we would call the Old Testament prophets, Right? the Old Testament prophets. Who were these guys? Well, throughout the Old Testament, you had these these men that were raised up, and they were spokesmen for God. They were were God's mouthpiece, so to speak. They were like field agents or field reps for the Lord, right? They would go and speak God's word to God's people. They represented God, (coughs) excuse me, by giving a message that was from God to a certain group of people, and they were called prophets because they were proclaiming the truth of God. Often when we think of prophets, we only think of prophecy, right? We think of people forth the future. And that's one operation of prophets and the gift of prophecy. That is one way that the prophets here operated. But there is also an element of being a prophet and operating in a prophetic capacity, which is where you're simply proclaiming the truth of God. And that's operating um, in ways where there's, there's times where myself, I'll be teaching a Bible study, or maybe you've shared something with somebody once, and you just feel like the Lord's going, just proclaim this truth. You know, and it doesn't have anything to do with the person per se. You don't have any like, you know, oh, you know, if, uh, if 10 o'clock tonight, if you answer the phone, you'll die within a week, right? It's nothing like that. You know, it's, it's just, this is what God's word says. But then that person gets pierced into their heart, right? They're like, how did you know what I was doing? And you're like, all I did was quote you know, a verse from the Bible. But, but that can be prophetic. And so that was one of the ways that these prophets worked. They would speak something that God wanted the people to hear. And oftentimes when they spoke, it would center on these two different things. Proclaiming God's word or predicting future events. But if you go through the prophecies and the, the things that the prophets spoke through the Old Testament, Old Testament, you'll find that virtually everything that they spoke and prophesied was in anticipation of salvation. Salvation of God's people. It was all in anticipation of what God was going to do. And so you read Isaiah and you read Daniel, and you read Zechariah, and Zephaniah, and others, and you find that they proclaimed um, the salvation that was to come, and they predicted things about the future salvation that was to come on God's people. But it's interesting, you go back and you read through these prophets, you'll find out that they proclaimed these truths, but they didn't always understand what it meant. Sometimes they would proclaim what God told them to say, and then be like, God, what does that mean? Sometimes God would reveal it, but other times God would just say, it's not for you to know. Just say what I'm telling you to say. <laughs> but God, I don't understand how this applies. You know, if I told you, your brain would explode, right? Just say what I'm telling you to say and, and, and be obedient in that regard. And so, so these guys would, would proclaim and preach and predict, and it was all about salvation. But much of what the prophets proclaimed, much of what they predicted, was specifically about not just salvation, but the coming Savior, As the Jews called it, the Messiah. They were looking forward to their Savior, the one who would come and deliver them. And we, of course, know on this side of the cross, looking back, that that is Jesus Christ. And so, referencing all the prophecies that are about salvation, and then specifically about the Savior Jesus, you know, some of you know these things, but I'm sharing this because there might be someone in here that's never heard these things, or you might be watching online, and you never heard this, but In the Old Testament, there's over 330 predictions, specific predictions, prophecies made about Jesus Christ. These predictions covered everything from what he would do, who he would be, where he would be born, what would happen to him. And then all of these predictions were given over a span of about 1600 years. So it wasn't like a couple dudes got together and they said, okay, let's, let's make up a bunch of these things that we're gonna, you know, call prophecies. And, and, and these prophecies only happen during the lifespan of one or two individuals. No, it took place over 1,600 years. Prophecies made that were very specific and very fulfilled. Just to give you a, a sample of these, we're not gonna go through all 330 of them because that would take a very long time. But these prophecies about the Messiah... These prophecies about Jesus Christ said that he would be born of a virgin in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. They said, and this was long before the events happened, long before Jesus was on the scene, they said that he would be born in Bethlehem in Micah 5.2. They prophesied that he would be born of the tribe of Judah in Israel. There were 12 tribes. And they said, no, he will be the Messiah, the Savior will be from the tribe of Judah in Genesis 49.10. In Isaiah 9-1, they prophesied that his ministry would begin in Galilee. You'll notice these things are pretty specific, right? You know, so-called psychics and people today that want to predict the future and stuff, they're just so vague. It's so laughable, you know? You go in, you're like, I'm I'm here to find out about my future uh, love life. And they're like, you you are going to meet someone prophecy, right? It's like, come on, specifics. You know, and then you have charlatans that are really good at getting information from people, figuring out things, and they appear to be so specific, but it's all bunk. What you had from prophecy in dealing with God's people, very specific. Isaiah 35, 5, and 6, they predicted that the Messiah, that Jesus would work, mur- work miracles. Zechariah 9, 9, they predicted that he would enter Jerusalem on a donkey. Not Enter Jerusalem on some type of beast of burden. No on a donkey. Psalms 41.9, they said that he would that he would be betrayed by a friend. Zechariah 11:12 that he would be sold for exactly 30 pieces of silver. Isaiah 53:5 that he would be wounded and bruised. Psalm 22:16, that his hands and his feet would be pierced. Isaiah 53:12 that he would be crucified between two thieves. Psalms 22 again that his garments would be torn and that the people around him would cast lots; they would throw dice and, and gamble to get his clothing. Psalms 34:20, his bones would not be broken. Zechariah 12:10, that his side would be pierced. Isaiah 53:9, that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. And Psalm 16:10, that he would rise from the dead. These are just sixteen of the over three hundred specific prophecies made in, 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 in decades and in, in years and in hundreds of years before Jesus Christ even came on the scene. And there's more prophesied about him that hasn't come yet. And he's, he references those things there yet, right? In those verses we read in 1 Peter, prophesying about him, about what he would do and the glories to come. There's more to come that's gonna happen. There's prophecies about the millennial kingdom and what's gonna happen there and things that haven't yet happened. But you go through Isaiah and Daniel and Ezekiel and you'll find that all three of them talk about this millennial kingdom, this reign of Christ that is going to happen on earth. Why do we trust God when he says this is going to happen? Because hundreds of times he has said this is going to happen and it happened. He's trustworthy. Prophecy is trustworthy. And it's one of the ways we know that the Bible is true. Now, Pastor Gary has shared some of these details before, but again, I just want to share it for those of you that maybe have never heard it. The odds of one person in history fulfilling 330 predictions. The mathematical number basically is impossible. Okay, the, the math number, they go this number, the, the word for that is impossible. And so... Be re-encouraged if you've heard this before, but, but, but the odds of all these particular details spoken and written down over the span of 1,600 years, it's absolutely insane to consider the odds of one person fulfilling all 330 of these um, um, prophecies. Now, back in the 50s, there was a man named Dr. Peter Stoner who wrote a book called Science Speaks which I find just a really ironic topic, you know, considering how people are saying, you know, science is contradictory to religion and today and blah, blah, blah. But anyways, he wrote this book called Science Speaks. He was a professor emeritus at Westmount College um, in charge of the science department and the applied mathematics department at another college as well. And what he did is he wrote this book and he calculated the odds of one man in history fulfilling the predictions about Christ. What are the odds that one man would fulfill these predictions? And he said, I'm not going to look at all 330 because some of those are still in the future. I'm not going to look at 300. I'm just going to take eight. Just start with eight. I just quoted 16. But he goes, let's just start with eight of the prophecies about Jesus and calculate the mathematical odds of one man in history fulfilling all of these. And so after he did all his math and stuff, he basically came to the conclusion that in order for one man to fulfill all those prophecies— It would be 1 in 10 to the 17th power. Okay, that's a big number. Okay? 1 in 10 to the 17th power. Now, you look at that number and you go... I mean, that might look like my debt, but otherwise I have no way to relate to that, right? You know, what, what does that number mean in real life? And so Peter Stoner came up with a way to visualize it, and he gave this, this visualization. Again, some of you have heard this before, but he's like, if you took the entire state of Texas, right? Go around all the way to the border of Texas, the entire state, and you filled up that entire state two feet deep with silver dollars, silver dollars, the whole state two feet deep right? Those of you that are curious, that's about 100 trillion silver dollars. And you took one of those silver dollars and marked it. Now, I'm going to mark it with a J for Jesus, right? And you threw it back in there and you mixed it all up. And then you took somebody, blindfolded them, set them loose in Texas, walking over this two-foot pile of silver dollars and said, roam the entire state of Texas, and dig through the two feet of silver dollars, and on your first try, the one you grab must be the one with the J on it. That is one in 10 to the 17th power. That's the odds of one person fulfilling just eight of the prophecies about Jesus. And then he goes, you know what? Let's ramp it up a little. What are the odds of someone fulfilling 16 of the prophecies? 16 out of 330. Well, that number was 1 in 10 to the 45th power. Okay, that looks like this. All right, 10 with 45 zeros after it. And then he goes, okay, again, that's that number's kind of too big for us. So how do you visualize that? Okay, well, he said if you started from, let's say Earth and you traveled to the Sun, that's 93 million miles. All right, and you took that as a radius of a sphere. Uh, for those of you that are like, I don't remember what radius of a sphere is. Okay, half the diameter of a sphere, right? So you go to the sun, and then you go that same distance. That would be the dynam- diameter. And you made a sphere that had that diameter. A sphere. or oh, I'm sorry. Not, not that. You, you, you went the distance from the earth to the sun 30 times. That's the diameter that made a sphere. Small detail. Sorry, I forgot. And you filled up that sphere with silver dollars. And you took one and marked it with a J and blindfolded someone and said, go find the one with a J and, and on their first try, they grabbed it. That are the odds of one person fulfilling 16 of the prophecies that were made about Jesus. And Jesus fulfilled so many more. It, it, it's just ridiculous when people try to say, oh, that I, Jesus isn't real. He isn't who he says, who he says he is. He didn't do that. There's, the things that are documented that he fulfilled, the mathematical odds of anybody fulfilling those is just so beyond comprehension that it has to be divine. There are about 25 books in the world that claim to be divinely inspired scriptures. All but one of them have a very important ingredient missing. All but one of them. All but one are missing fulfilled prophecy of any kind. Things that were written before they happened and then happened. The Quran doesn't have any fulfilled prophecy. The Book of Mormon, no fulfilled prophecy. The Hindu Vedas, no fulfilled prophecy. You know the only book that is claimed to be divinely authored, divinely inspired, the only one that has fulfilled prophecy, documented things spoken long before they happened, and then they happened to the the detail. The only one is the Bible. The only one is the Bible. And so the prophets, they, they, they made all these crazy predictions, very specific predictions, but the problem was, as I said earlier, they didn't fully understand what they wrote. They didn't get it. One example is in Daniel chapter 12. Daniel was was given a vision of the future. And one day we'll be studying Daniel. It's just an awesome book. But but Daniel was given these visions of the future. And in Daniel chapter 12, verses 8 and 9, it says this. Daniel says, I heard, but did not understand. So I asked, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these things? And he said, go on your way, Daniel, for the words are secret and sealed until the time of the end. So these prophets were speaking what the Lord told them about things in the future that, that they didn't understand often. They're like, God, what is this all about? And God's just, just write it down. Look, there's those coming in the future that will understand these things. They will see the meaning of the words. They'll be able to put the pieces together. And Isaiah had the same struggle. You read through Isaiah and he's like, Lord, I'm speaking what you tell me to speak. But, you know, I don't quite understand. And Habakkuk had the same problem. They predicted things to come. But then it tells us here in Peter that they had to search and carefully investigate what it all meant. And to make it more fun, not a single one of them had all the pieces. Each one of the prophets had a few of the pieces. And so they would say, God, what does this all mean? Have you ever tried to put a puzzle together and you're missing pieces? It's infuriating, right? Sometimes it's the last piece and you're like, come on, really? Really? But imagine if you, you were trying to put together a 10,000-piece puzzle. And, and, and you're like, okay, and when this puzzle is done, I'm going to see the whole picture. I'm going to get it, right? They go, oh, by the way, um, you know, there, there, there's, there's, there's hundreds of, of people. You all have five pieces of the puzzle. And, oh, by the way, you're not all living in the same time. Okay, God, I'm going to put my pieces together. I'm gonna, but, but, I, but I don't understand. I don't see the picture. I can't see the whole picture because I'm missing some pieces. This is what it was like being an Old Testament prophet. But after that, after those times when we've been able to look back and see things fulfilled, we get to put all the pieces uh, together. We get to put the picture together. We see that the picture is Jesus Christ as we're able to look back now and go, oh, wow, this man fulfilled this and fulfilled this and fulfilled this and on and on and on and on. You know, when Jesus walked with the disciples on the road to Emmaus after he was resurrected, they were talking and they're like, oh, we don't get it. We thought he was the one. We don't understand. Jesus is walking with them. They didn't even know it was Jesus. And in Luke 24, 27, after they're like, we, we, we're not sure if he's alive or dead. And he's like, are you, guys, are you kidding me? And it says in Luke 24:27, the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Jesus even said once to his disciples in Matthew 13, 17, he said, For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see the things you see, but didn't see them, to hear the things you hear, but didn't hear them. And that's why we study all of the Bible. Right? The New Testament speaks of the Old Testament. The Old Testament speaks of the New Testament. We read the New Testament and go, oh, there are things to come. And we see in the New Testament those things are fulfilled. And then in the New Testament we see things fulfilled. And we go, well, fulfilled from what? And we go back to the Old Testament and we see the prophecy. And we we study the whole thing to see God's whole plan and the whole picture. Why do we study the Old Testament? To understand the New Testament. And so verse 11, Peter says, They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. This was one of the big divisions with with Israel and the prophets and all that. They wanted the the conquering Messiah and the prophets kept saying, well yeah, there's a conquering Messiah coming, but we also have these prophecies of a suffering Messiah. And some rabbis thought, well it's so, so contradictory, maybe there's two different messiahs and they had all these different theories. But even then, they inquired, like, hey, these things you're telling us about the suffering of Christ and the glories that are follow, when and and how and what does this all mean? And at some point, the prophets began to understand that what they were writing about was to be fulfilled in a distant future. Sure, some of the things that God had them predict and say happened within their lifetime, but much of it was going to happen far beyond their time. And he says, for a future audience. And what Peter is saying to the recipients of this letter, he's going, you guys are that audience. You guys are the recipients of those things. You're the audience. You're the ones that this has been fulfilled in front of. You're the one. God's plan from the beginning of time about salvation, the salvation of man, the salvation of you, you've seen it come to fruition. Reading the Old Testament, we see that our salvation was never an afterthought. It wasn't some plan B that God came up with after plan A didn't work. It was all planned in the mind of God. It was all prepared in the mind of God. And God then gave that message from heaven to his prophets to proclaim. And it was fulfilled in Christ. And then we go on to see that it was then preached by the apostles and many others down through the ages and received by you and me today. And it's verifiable that it's true. What on earth do we have to worry about for our future? Now, because life sometimes comes so quick and takes us by surprise, causing us to wonder, you know, why this or that is happening, Peter is saying, look, your whole salvation wasn't a surprise to God. Your entire relationship with him, your salvation, your saving faith, it wasn't a surprise to God. It was a part of his eternal plan. You're part of his eternal plan. So trust him. Trust him. There's no one else you can trust like the Lord. When he says those who preach the gospel, I believe that's primarily referring to, and and contextually for, for Peter's readers, the apostles right? Those who walked with Christ and, 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 and ministered with him and then were commissioned to go and started preaching the gospel and spread the gospel everywhere as it grew from, you know, Jerusalem and then out through all the places. It, it's referring to them. Those were the primary guys in the beginning that were preaching the gospel to people. So the things that were prophesied were fulfilled in Christ. And then the preachers wanted them to preach that message. Hey, you know all that stuff God said was going to happen? It happened. It happened in this man Jesus. And they went to go preach that good news to people. The salvation we've been waiting for, it's here. It's a available. And they went forward to take that message. In fact, Peter was the first preacher in the early church, the man who's writing this letter. You go back to the day of Pentecost as he preached and 3,000 were saved. But fast forward all the way to Bellflower, California. Fast forward to the 7 p.m. midweek service. Here you are. And the reason you are here, the reason I am here, Is because of the faithfulness of those who took the message that the apostles preached, took it into their lives, lived by it, and started preaching it. And then someone else heard that message, took it into their lives, got saved, lived by it, and started preaching it, and on and on and on down through the ages. That's why we are here. That's why you and I are here. And guess what? Every believer is commissioned to take up that mission. Every believer is commissioned to take up that banner and to preach the gospel to this generation, and the next generation, and on and on until Jesus comes back. So the big question is: Are you? Are we? Have we? You know, have we taken this sacred trust that was that was predicted and prophesied by the prophets, fulfilled in Christ, and then preached by those in the early church, and on and on up until our day? Are we taking the sacred trust and, and carried on this mission to, to preach the gospel? To share the hope? Do you see yourself in this life as a believer? I'm here on mission in this world. I'm a missionary and wherever I'm at and wherever I'm living, I'm here on mission to share the gospel. Because if you've received the gospel, it is now your turn to share the gospel. And some people are like, oh, oh, I'm not the evangelist. I'm not the evangelist. We're all called to do the work of an evangelist. That's what Scripture tells us. Some of us are eloquent speakers. Some of us are just great at handing out tracts. But all of us are called and commissioned to be a part of this outreach. To be a part of sharing the hope that is within us with people that don't have that hope. Now, I know it's difficult, you know? In this day and age, people are like, oh, I don't want to offend people. I don't want to say something that gets someone mad at me, you know? Everyone needs a safe space. But isn't the truth that the safest space f- for anybody to be in is enveloped in the righteousness of Christ? <laughs> isn't that the safest space of all? Oh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tell them about Jesus because they got, might get mad, they might get offended. You know, isn't it more offensive for someone to end up in hell? Now, I'm not trying to lay the trip on, on anybody here and say, you know, it's, you're responsible for them getting saved. That's God's work. But we are responsible for being lights and sharing the message. You know, imagine your friend's house was on fire and you didn't say anything to him because you didn't want to offend him. So you just let it burn down with them inside. Well, at least they weren't offended. I think they might say, you know, I would have rather you told me the house was on fire even if I didn't believe you, the house was on fire. And I would have liked you to tell me. And so we're called to tell people. You know, I don't want to find myself standing before the Lord on judgment day. He's like, hey, you know, what would you do with, with Christ? Oh, I, he's my Savior. I've, I've I've lived my life according to him. Great. Did you tell people about him? Oh, uh, whoa, bro. I didn't want to offend people. <laughs> you do you, boo, right? Everybody does teach their own. What? <laughs> We shouldn't be thinking that way. Now, like I said, before you all feel guilty, I want to point out an important fact here, right? The obligation on us, yes, is to engage. The obligation on us is to share, to say something, to find a way to to follow that, to fulfill that commission. But the power to save doesn't come from us. Okay, sure, there's, there's, there's preparation we could do. One of the things we're praying about next year is trying to do some more discipleship and training on evangelism for people who want to get more involved and more equipped for those things. And that's all well and good. But all we really have to do is to be plugged into the right power source. Right? Notice verse 12. He says, We preach the gospel by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. By the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Verse 11, he mentioned that it was by the spirit of Christ that the, that the um, Old Testament um, prophets were prophesying. Now, the spirit of God is the spirit of Christ, is the Holy Spirit, okay? It's the same thing, all right? It's God the Spirit working in and through his people. And so what we see here is that in the prophets of the Old Testament, it was the Spirit of God. It was the Spirit of Christ. It was the Holy Spirit animating them, empowering them to do their work. And it's the same Holy Spirit that activated preachers in the New Testament. And it's the same Holy Spirit here today in your life as a believer, empowering you to say something, to hand out that tract, to, to be a part of an outreach, to hand out Bibles, to get involved in, in organizations that are, that are sharing their faith. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers us to do the thing, but we we need to say, God, I'm here, I'm ready, I'm willing to be engaged. We have an event coming up here in a couple weeks, William Graham, grandson of Billy Graham, is gonna be here in our pulpit preaching the gospel. That man is anointed. Hey, great, get someone to church that day, right? A challenge all of us, just just think of someone "Uh," and start praying for them right now. Pay attention to the Bible study still, but start praying for them, And pray that they would come to church with you that day. And the whole event is about we want to see people hear the gospel and respond to it and get saved. Take advantage of those types of things. Right? That might be your evangelistic gift. I can drive people to the event. Well, then do it. But Say, God, show me how I can be involved in this commission that you've given us. Not because their salvation is dependent on you, but because God is wanting you to be a part of the process, a part of that, and he's commissioned us to do it. It's really a simple formula. When people of God receive the power of the Spirit of God to preach the gospel of God, lives change. Communities change. Workplaces change. And it's an amazing, radical, unique, magnificent thing that God has planned to do to save humanity. It's amazing. It's it's such a, a, it's an eternity changing thing. And we get to be a part of it. But it's so amazing. Look at the end of verse 12. It says, and the angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. So you had the prophets that predicted it. Jesus fulfilled it. The preachers proclaimed it. And now the angels ponder it. The angels pondered. He's still speaking of salvation, right? Salvation is still the topic he's dealing with here. And when it says the angels long to, that word there means to desire, right? It's that idea when you really, 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 really want something. It's that type of desire, right? I I got to have this thing, right? The angels long to what? Catch a glimpse of these things, of salvation at work in humanity. That phrase catch a glimpse means to stretch one's neck forward, <laughs> Right? It's the idea that the angels are up on the ramparts of, of, of the, the walls of heaven and they're looking over down at humanity and they're straining their necks out to see this work of salvation that is taking place on earth. And the angels really, 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 really want to stoop down and take a peek. Why? Well, I mean, you, you see these areas in the Bible where it appears that the angels are terribly interested terribly interested in salvation and how it works. Some of it's a mystery to them, right? You read at the birth of Jesus, God being born on this earth to to begin that work, angels were there proclaiming it. At the very end of the work, at the tomb of Jesus, when he rose from the dead, it says angels were there. And they're still interested as they look down on us and see that work taking place. And, And I believe it's... Well, I think it's because angels can't be saved, right? Angels can't be saved. There's no salvation in the sense that it applies to humans. Only humans can be saved. Only humans are the recipient of the saving grace of God. Only humans get to take part in the redemption that comes through believing in Jesus Christ. Yeah, there's fallen angels and there's faithful angels and there's bad angels and good angels and elect angels, but there's no saved angels in that sense. Fallen humanity is, is the recipients of this redemptive grace of God. And, and it's just, we can be saved. They can't. And I think that's a part of the fascination that they have. Like, only humans get to experience his grace. And, 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 you know, they, they watched as, as, as God gave his best to earth's worst. Right? God, you're going to do what? Yeah, I'm going to be born as one of these sinful creatures, but I'm without sin. Why? Because I'm doing a work, and I'm going to live amongst them. Why would you want to do that? Have you, have you seen them? Yeah, and then I'm, 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 going to, I'm going to live this perfect life, and, and then I'm going to take their punishment. What? Why would? We don't understand that. And they're fascinated by it, and I think they're fascinated When they see a God-hating, drug-using partier become a pastor. They're just like, wow! I think they're fascinated when they see a a criminal become a missionary. I think they're just amazed when they see a violent blasphemer become a born-again child of God. They marvel at it. They rejoice over it. They celebrate it. See, Luke 15, 7, Jesus said, I tell you in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. They're fascinated by this gift of salvation given to this fallen, wicked humanity. They marvel at it, and they celebrate it. And so in the classroom of the universe, you know, God's the teacher, Again, many ways, the angels are the students. The subject is salvation, and the illustration of God's powerful work is the church. And the angels are just sitting there looking down and going, wow, that's amazing. That's incredible. Oh, look, there's another one. Look, oh, he got saved. Wow. That one. Who was betting against the guy? I don't know if they bet in heaven. I won't go there. But you know, you could do something tonight that would make the angels of heaven go, oh, wow. You know what that is? Get saved. Give your life to the Lord. It says the angels will just marvel and celebrate. Something that would make them just celebrate is to give your life to God. Admit what the Holy Spirit has been pressing upon you for some time now. Admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you're guilty of breaking God's law. We all have. Admit that you're a wrongdoer. Admit that you can't stop doing it no matter how hard you try. Admit that just because there's someone worse than you doesn't mean that your wrongdoing isn't sin. Admit that you need God, receive him and receive his free gift of salvation. And you'll find that the God who created this universe has been preparing and planning this moment from before time began. Every time a person is in the process of being saved, I believe the angels are just leaning closer to the railing, looking over. He's getting close. She's getting close. Look at the questions they're asking. Look at the, the, the moments they're having in the dark. Look, look. And then someone finally says, Jesus, come into my life and save me. Boom, another party in heaven. A person may go to the doctor and walk away, a healthy sinner, A person may go to a psychiatrist and walk away a well-adjusted sinner. A person may go to church and walk away a religious sinner. But it's only when a person comes to the cross that Jesus Christ hung on that they walk away a forgiven sinner. This is the message of the gospel. This is the message of salvation that came from heaven, was predicted by the prophets, was preached and proclaimed by preachers for the last 2,000 years, was received by so many of you in this room tonight. The angels look at that and they go, how cool is that? But there might be some of you in here tonight that haven't received that yet. And God has been speaking to you all night. I believe he's been speaking to you before you even got here and who knows days and weeks. He's been speaking to you and you know you need to give your life to him. You know you need to receive this salvation. And if it's you watching online, God is speaking to you. So I'm going to pray in a moment. I'm going to give you an op- opportunity to receive Christ, to receive Him as your Lord and Savior, to receive what He has been planning for you to receive since before time began. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, God, that that Lord, you've had plans for us before we even existed. You had plans for us before creation even existed. And that, God, you proclaimed that plan through your prophets, Lord, as they spoke forth a salvation to come. As they followed in in obedience to you and, 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 and said and wrote down the things you were telling them to say, even when they didn't understand it, God. And, Lord, we're so thankful that then you fulfilled all those things and put all those pieces together when you came to this earth and lived a perfect life and died on the cross in our place, taking our punishment for our sin upon Yourself. We thank You, God, that although You were buried in a rich man's tomb as prophesied, You rose again as prophesied. That, God, Your resurrection was seen by so many witnesses that it can't be denied. And that You ascended to the right hand of the Father, interceding for us evermore. And God, we thank you that you then sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within us forever, molding us and shaping us and teaching us. God, this life can be difficult and this life can be tough, but really, what do we have to fear, Lord? You are so faithful. Prophecy proves it. And so we thank you, God, for our salvation. And we remember our salvation when we're starting to lose hope, God. Because your promises are are true. Your promises are, are many. And your promises are for us. While we're praying with heads bound and eyes closed. If you're in this room tonight or you're watching online and you've not yet received that promise of God. That promise that if you cry out to him with your heart if you acknowledge that he is God and you acknowledge that he died on the cross for you and you acknowledge that you've broken his law and you ask him for the forgiveness that he offers you, if you've never reached out for that promise that says he will save all who call upon his name and that applies to you tonight, I want to give you this opportunity right now to receive him, to take hold of that promise, to have the salvation that not only works in your life now but guarantees a future past this life with your God in heaven with no more tears, no more sorrows because all those things will have passed away. So if you're in this room and you're seated and you want to receive Christ tonight while we're praying, just raise your hand up and say, yeah, I want to receive Jesus. I need to be saved tonight. If you're watching online, Obviously, I can't see you, but you know you need to receive Jesus Christ. I want you to pray with me right now. And anybody in this room, if you want to receive Jesus tonight, pray with me right now. Say, Lord God, I believe you're God. I believe in who you are. I believe in what you've done. I receive your promise. I receive your gift of salvation. I thank you, God, that you planned my salvation long before creation even existed. That you knew my need, you loved me so much. Thank you, God. I know I've sinned against you. I ask you to forgive me, God. Cleanse me. Wash me clean of all guilt and wrongdoing. Save my soul. Come into my life, Lord. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Change my heart. Teach me how to live for you. Thank you for loving me so much. I know it'll take the rest of my life to even begin to understand that type of love. But I receive it anyways. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. If you prayed that prayer tonight, um, we want to give you, we have a new believers packet that we want to give you, you know, because... This moment that God has planned for you from before time began, it's not about joining a church, it's not about joining a religion, it's about restoring your relationship with your creator. And we wanna help you with that relationship. We wanna help you uh, on the next steps with that. And one of those is if you don't have a Bible, get a Bible and start reading it. And if you've never read a Bible, start in the Gospel of John. I know some people are like, no, I gotta start at the beginning of the book. It's not that type of book, it's a collection of books. The Gospel of John is what you need to read right now. And if you're online, and you receive the Lord Jesus Christ tonight, if you're not local to Hosanna, just let us know in the chat. We'd love to send you the New Believers Pack. If you need a Bible, we'll get a Bible to you. Because we want you to to start your walk, your relationship off with your Savior on the right foot. And we want to just give you any resources we can to help with that. For the rest of us, you know, just never forget the salvation that, that has been purchased for us. Never forget the lengths and the work God went to go to save you, to save me. It's pretty magnificent. And when we keep that in the proper perspective, the troubles around us can get a little smaller, a little more manageable, because our God is so big, so much bigger than all of it. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. Let's worship.